Now, before we proceed with this episode, I do have something important that I need to share with everybody. As you guys know, about two years ago, I did a sketch comedy show called The Going Live Show. And while I was on the show, I worked with a very talented cast and became friends with practically every cast member on the show. And one friend that I had in particular, her name was Tata Sharice. Now, if you watch the Going Live show, you know who Tata is. She was basically um, the public defender. That was her uh, main gimmick on the uh, show. That was the main character she played, and she did that quite a few times. And if you saw the um, Hood Exorcist sketch, uh, she played the mother in the sketch. Like, I played the, uh, the priest that was trying to, you know, get the demon out of of her son in the sketch. Uh, she played the mom and I played the priest going, the power of Christ compels you. Like that was me. Well, sadly this past Christmas Eve, uh, Tata Sharice was carjacked at gunpoint while coming home from a comedy show. Now the good news is she is not hurt physically. The bad news is her car was stolen and the merchandise that she sells after shows was stolen as well. And she currently has a GoFundMe page set up to help her raise the money that she needs to get a new car and order more merch so she can, you know, get back to selling merch and get out there performing. And what I'm gonna do is, I am going to read the synopsis of her GoFundMe page to further illustrate what she's looking for rather than try to paraphrase it. So this is on her GoFundMe page. Hey y'all, so I got carjacked. I'm no stranger to obstacles or overcoming tough times, but what recently happened to me was something I really wasn't prepared for. I was carjacked at gunpoint by two men on Christmas Eve coming home from a show. Comedy is now the majority of my income, so my car was very important to me because it's how I get to most shows. Also, all of my Tata Charisse merchandise was in the trunk of my car, which was another big part of my income. I'm blessed to be alive. I do about five to 10 shows a month and I'm really grinding. I don't plan to give up at all, but I'm creating this GoFundMe to help speed things up so I can get back to doing what I love and bring joy to others. Anything that anybody can contribute would be greatly appreciated and used to go towards a car and to replace my merchandise that I sell at shows. I appreciate the support and my spirit has not been broken. Thank you for the love that people have already showed me and anything further helps. I just entered year six of my stand-up comedy career and it has been an incredible journey. I've hit amazing milestones and so far I've performed in over 200 shows non-stop, but I can't let this situation situation slow me down. And as I mentioned before, Tata Sharice is a friend of mine. I've worked with her before. She is hilariously funny and a tremendous talent. And I am encouraging all of the Boochcast fans to donate money to Tata Sharice's GoFundMe to help her get back on her feet, get back on the road, and get back to doing what she does best. So from now until the GoFundMe page is completed, I am going to be putting the link to her GoFundMe page on every single Boochcast episode going forward inside the synopsis so you can use it to go there and do whatever you can to help her out. I will also be providing links on the Boochcast social media pages so you can access them there as well. So go to the link, donate what you can, and help Tata Sharice get back to bringing joy and laughter to the world. Every time it rains, it rains. Panthers from heaven. Shoop it to be. Don't you know each cloud contains panthers from heaven? Shoop it to be. You'll find your fortune falling. 
all over town. Be shining your umbrella is up, 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 upside down and trading for a package of sunshine and ravioli. Macaroni. If you want the thing you love, you must have a pizza only, baby. And when you hit thunder, don't run under a tree. He'll be pennies from heaven for you and me. Now come over here, boy, Sam. And every time it rains, it rains. And don't you know it's cockadine? Every time it rains, it rains. And don't you know it's cockadine? You find your fortune falling. All over town, all over town, all over town. Be sure that your umbrella is upside down and we live up. What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to the recap of AEW. And ladies and gentlemen, this week I am once again riding solo here on the Boochcast. Gator had some work to do over at the wrestling school. He did get home in time to watch some of AEW, but he was concerned about keeping me up too late. So he just said, fuck it, Mr. Bucci, baby. Just go ahead and do it on your own. So I'm here to do it on my own. Oh, bye. On the Boochcast. And of course, we kick off this show. It is in Long Island, New York. Beautiful Long Island, New York. At the UBS Arena at Belmont Park. So of course, the pyro goes off and all that shit. And we see absolute Ricky Starks making his way to the ring. Juice Robinson is already in the ring. But as Starks makes it down the ramp, the Bullet Club hits revealing Jay White as he runs down the ramp to blindside Starks. Ricky tries to fight back, but is overwhelmed by the combined might of Robinson and White, latter of whom hits a Blade Runner to make a statement. He and Robinson give each other a bullet club salute before taunting the crowd from the turnbuckles. So, basically, Jay White, who we've heard is a free agent since leaving New Japan, there were rumors going around that he was going to sign with WWE, but apparently he has chosen to sign with AEW, and I'm willing to bet that the uh, WWE sales to Endeavor and the fact that Vince McMahon is back in charge of creative at least from a major standpoint like he's not doing the weeds and the nuts and bolts and the day to day stuff but he's going to be handling the big important shit and I think with Vince back in the creative Jay was probably thinking I have no future there can't say that I blame him so he went to sign with AEW that's my theory uh, either way um, you know Jay White I guess does make this interesting because Jay White is actually a, somebody that can become a star 
star. He's a star in New Japan, has all the potential in the world to be a star in America, and Juice Robinson is the most irrelevant person on the roster, and that's hard for me to say because there's a lot of irrelevant motherfuckers in AEW. So Jay White, I guess, is making this interesting. I don't know who's going to back up Ricky Starks, but I've got a strong feeling they're going to try to drag this out to double or nothing. It'll either be a one-on-one match between Ricky and Juice, or it'll be Juice and Jay versus Ricky and whoever the fuck he can get as a tag team partner. Next, we cut to uh, the backstage area where Tony Schiavone is with Jericho, who talked about Daniel Garcia being punked out by Adam Cole, and it's an act of disrespect that Chris won't stand for. This grabs the attention of Keith Lee, who calls Jericho out on this before challenging him to a match next week to teach him about respect. Jericho stares the limitless one down before walking off. So, obviously, next week we're going to get Chris Jericho versus Keith Lee, which I would be excited to see because despite how he's been booked, Keith Lee is a great in-ring competitor, and I'm hoping that Jericho will be able to get something out of him. And I also find it intriguing that I think Chris Jericho and Adam Cole is possibly going to be a double or nothing. I think they're going to try to book it to that point. You know, obviously, he talked about being happy for the fact that Adam Cole is back. He said it's great when a brother in the business comes back from a career through threatening injury. And I like the fact that Jericho acknowledged that, but then also said he didn't like the fact that after the match he kept celebrating while Daniel Garcia was lying there and felt it was disrespectful to Daniel Garcia. And Jericho will have none of it. So I kind of like how he used that to, you know, obviously get some heat and obviously pick a fight with Adam Cole, but also acknowledging his injury, basically saying, look, I'm not a heartless piece of shit, but I don't like the fact that you punked out my boy. So despite the fact that I'm happy you're back from an injury, I'm still going to want to whoop your ass. And like I said, hopefully at double or nothing they make that happen because I feel like Chris Jericho and Adam Cole would tear the fucking house down and that to me is pay-per-view worthy. Jericho and Keith Lee is obviously not pay-per-view worthy because they have done a shitty job with the booking of Keith Lee since he first came into AEW. So they have done nothing to make this man a star in AEW. He was a star when he came in, but they found a way to diminish that star quick, fast, and in a goddamn hurry. So I don't mind this match being on next week, but if Jericho and Adam Cole are going to lock up, it needs to be on pay-per-view. No free TV bullshit with this. And on that note, we're going to move on to the first official match of the evening for the AEW World Trios Championship. The House of Black defend the titles against the best friends. Okay, first off, let me just say, obviously, Sue got a big pop. And I have no issues with Sue at all. I think it's very entertaining. In fact, whenever I think about Sue, I actually think about Brody Lee, God rest his soul. And on Being the Elite, on the episodes that I did watch back when I was giving it a chance because Elvis wouldn't shut the fuck up about it, I remember Brody Lee saying, you sell for Sue! You fucking sell for Sue! And that was hilarious, you know, because Sue is awesome and, you know, it did play into the gimmick a little bit when they were feuding with, I want to say it was the Elite, I can't remember who exactly they were feuding with or it was LAX I can't fucking remember but I remember the best friends were feuding with fucking somebody and Sue somehow got involved in it I don't remember who the opponents were which tells you a lot about how memorable the actual fucking feud was I just remember Sue in the car driving off and giving the finger as she's driving away so seeing Sue is always a pleasure that being said as far as the match goes obviously this is a typical 
spot fest because that's exactly what you get when you see the best friends and the house of black in the ring you're gonna get a bunch of pointless high spots with no psychology no storytelling and it's just gonna be goddamn ridiculous really the only two things that stood out to me was Brody King and how fucking badass he is in the ring and also uh, I will say this and I rarely ever do this but I need to give some credit to Orange Cassidy here this is the best I've ever seen him work up until the shin kicks with Malachi and I'll get to that in a minute before that point this is the best work I've ever seen Orange Cassidy do now I'm sure some AEW marks out there that will give me a list of great matches that Orange Cassidy's had he was great over here he was great over there blah 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 no as far as being a worker and I mean a real worker not a spot monkey not a goofy comedy act not a fucking joke not a sloth who makes it look cool but as an actual fucking wrestler who wants to be taken seriously as a goddamn wrestler this is the best he's ever worked like I said the only negative thing I saw was the stupid shin kicks with Malachi who again is just fucking standing there and letting him do this I'm sorry if you are a professional wrestler and you take professional wrestling seriously and you want the audience to take you seriously as a professional wrestler you should not be selling the shin kicks the only people that should be selling the shin kicks are non-wrestlers like managers valets referees shit like that but actual professional wrestlers who want to be taken seriously as athletes should not be selling these stupid fucking shin kicks they shouldn't you should be smacking the taste out of his mouth the second he does that puny little kick to your shins and the fact that wrestlers continue to sell this is why AEW has a hard time being taken seriously because of goofy stupid shit like this but in the end the house of black is able to retain their titles and like I said the match was just there and then we cut to the backstage area we're supposed to hear from Christian Cage who we haven't seen since he was locked in the casket at Revolution he shows up he opens a door there's all there's, there's the weird like colors and fog and shit and then out comes Luchasaurus and then they just look into the camera and with that one non-verbal brief moment Christian is basically saying he's got Luchasaurus back with him and I like that I do obviously these are two people who belong together and all I ask is that both of them stay the fuck away from Jungle Boy that rivalry is dead it is done put it to bed Christian and Luchasaurus need to move on to other opponents and I think that until you can find a credible rivalry for Christian to get involved in he should for the most part be a manager for Luchasaurus and I know this goes against everything I've said in the past about legends coming in and only playing manager or second fiddle to guys who aren't even fit to carry their bags into the building and to an extent I still believe that but with Christian there's not a lot of bumps left on his bump card and also Christian to me since he's come to AEW hasn't really done anything to make me think he should be in the main event picture I personally have never seen Christian solo as a main event player now hopefully I can be proven wrong but unless you're planning on building him up for an AEW world title run you might as well have him be a mouthpiece for Luchasaurus because that's a character who should not be talking Luchasaurus should not be cutting promos Christian needs to be the mouthpiece 
and Luchasaurus needs to be the badass. That's what needs to happen because Christian is a phenomenal talker. We've seen that before in the past in WWE. We've seen it here in AEW as he's built up the rivalry with Jungle Boy. So this is the right spot for Christian to be in. Now, on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the AEW Women's Championship. Jamie Hayter defends the title against Rio. Once again, I'm about to say something that I did not expect to say. This is the best match Rio has ever had, hands down. I got to give props to Jamie Hayter. She found a way to get a good match out of Rio. There was a lot of back and forth action. There was a lot of good wrestling. There was a lot of good working. Uh, Didn't see any botches. And all the hits looked believable. So this was impressive. And of course, Rio did not win the match because she should not win the match. Because Rio has no business holding a championship because she's not believable as a badass champion. The fact that she was the inaugural AEW Women's Champion was the first of many mistakes AEW has made with the women's division. That was mistake number one. And then it snowballed from there. So the fact that Rio did not walk out with the title meant something. Obviously trying to build up Jamie hater she is somewhat getting better but as a champion it's hard for me to get behind her because there's so many other women that are more deserving of the belt than she is so she shows respect to Rio before celebrating the title as we go backstage Renee is standing by with the outcasts you congratulate hater on retaining the title but the outcasts are here to take back control by winning the women's championship Renee asks which of them looks to win the title but they say what matters is that Jamie hater is not the champion when it's all said and done So, of course, they try to cut Renee off because they're worried she's going to try to uh, cause dissension within the outcasts and think that their egos are going to affect them being a unified team because only one of them can really take the title from her. But it looks like the outcasts are going to stay a team and they should stay a team. And, of course, afterwards, Soraya waves the shirt in front of the camera and plugs the merch before walking off but does it in a very heelish way, which I like. And as far as which one of them should take take the belt that's a good question because obviously if you want to look at this from star power the first obvious choice is Soraya she is the most over woman out of the three in the outcasts and she is the biggest star in that women's division so the smart money would be on Soraya but I also wouldn't mind seeing Tony Storm get the title especially since they had the whole interim title in front of it uh, so I wouldn't mind seeing Tony Storm get the belt back I thought it was bullshit she lost the belt in the first place because as far as I'm concerned, she should have kept the title and they should have had Thunder Rosa come back and they have the unification match and then Tony Storm beat Thunder Rosa and unified the belts and become the undisputed women's champion until it was time to drop the title. And then they could have had this whole Jamie Hayter storyline after that. Because I feel like they fucked over Thunder Rosa royally in AEW. And it's one of many, in addition to CM Punk and Andrade El Idiot, even though I hate the guy. Those are three people who got royally fucked by this company. And on that note, we cut to the backstage area where we see the JAS and the Acclaimed, the latter of whom let Cool Hand and Daddy Magic know via rap they are not interested in joining the Jericho Appreciation Society. Cool Hand seems to misunderstand this, however, saying they've gotten a match for Rampage, and they ask Daddy Magic to scissor him, which is stopped by Daddy Ass, who alongside Bowens shows how it's done. Okay, 
This was fucking stupid. Basically, Daddy Magic and Cool Hand Luke are trying to get the acclaim to join the Jericho Appreciation Society. They basically say they're not interested, as Max Caster does his rap, and they decide, by they I mean Cool Hand Luke and Daddy Magic, decide to book an eight-man tag match on Rampage with 3.0 and the acclaimed versus four random motherfuckers, I guess. Why? They already said no. Why would they face off in the eight-man tag? Why would the acclaimed even show up for that match? The only logical explanation I can think of for why they would book this is so that that way they can have either the acclaimed take out the JAS or the JAS take out the acclaimed and then book a tag match between them either on an episode of Dynamite or try to stretch it out to Double or Nothing and have a feud there to build something for that card. Because remember, Double or Nothing is coming up in about a month. So you got to start telling some stories and building up to it unless Tony Khan wants to do what he always does, which is build up absolutely nothing and then a week before the pay-per-view just start throwing matches on the card out of nowhere with no build-up. Next, we cut to... Mike Rogers and his great band for some musical entertainment before MJF makes his way to the stage. And we now have the MJF Day segment. MJF introduces himself to a big pop before talking about how great Long Island is. He talks about how when it rains in Long Island, it rains pennies from heaven. This leads to a little ditty from the champ who really shows off his musical talents here. With the song over, Joseph Saladino is introduced to a big chorus of boos, which MJF tries to shut down as best he can. And Joseph gives MJF his props and the key to Long Island. Joe talks about how the key they gave him before was too small and made a much bigger one just for MJF. MJF thanks him for this before talking down his fellow pillars, and by that I mean Sammy Guevara, Darby Allen, and Jungle Boy. Then he goes into a story about his life, talking about his struggle with ADD and an unsympathetic teacher in 8th grade named Mrs. Benedict, claiming she would laugh at him for not knowing the answer to a question on the board. On the last day, the teacher took her aside and asked where his mind went when he couldn't answer the question, and he said professional wrestler. He dreamt of being a pro wrestler, and the teacher claimed the odds of that dream happening were low, before pointing out that her math was way off because he stands here with the key to the city and the AEW world champion. If you're a Long Island kid and struggling, and he said this message for strictly Long Island kids, because he doesn't talk to pores. He said, if you're a Long Island kid and struggling and people are saying you can't accomplish your dreams, know that you can be whatever you want to be except MJF because he is better than you and you know it. And the crowd says, and you know it. And he also says, don't be like Mrs. Benedict. And by that I mean, don't be a stupid bitch. MJF takes the mic, goes up the ramp, asking if people want to hear an encore. He repeats the question before getting spooked with a cymbal shot. He talks down the person holding the cymbals, turns his back on the man who turns out to be Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Perry blindsides the champ and goes after him until security rushes out to break things up. And Sammy Guevara comes out staring down the AEW world title before picking it up to the chagrin of MJF. He keeps the title raised, talking trash to Perry and then MJF before tossing the title to the champ and then makes his way down to the ring for his upcoming match. Okay, this was an awesome segment. Now, I love this segment so much that because Gator is not here, I chose to make Pennies from Heaven the opening song for this recap. Now, a lot of people have mixed reactions about this. Some people like it, some people hate it. All I'm going to say is this. 
If you are a person who shits on WWE for the goofy comedy singing segments that they do, if you're one of those people that's like, I want to see less talking and I want to see more wrestling, if you think that silly stuff like this serves no purpose in professional wrestling, but you enjoyed this MJF Day segment, congratulations, you're a fucking hypocrite. And this further proves the point that I always make. That anything AEW does, the marks eat up. It's like they're afraid to criticize this company. They're afraid to say anything negative about this company. Even if AEW does something that the WWE has been guilty of doing for decades, they will embrace it because they are obsessed with WWE having competition. And they refuse to acknowledge that AEW, while they have done some things that are good, there are, is a lot of bad in this company. And they make a lot of mistakes... And they do a lot of things to damage and hurt the business. But because it's happening in AEW, the AEW marks ignore that. Now, me, I'm not a hypocrite. Because I am one of those people that can appreciate a segment like this if it's done right. It's like comedy and wrestling. If it's done right, I'll enjoy it. If a segment is entertaining, I will enjoy it if it's done right. And this MJF Day segment was a segment done right. It was entertaining, it got the crowd going, and it was MJF celebrating the fact that he got the key to the city in Long Island. And plus, it helps MJF live up to his gimmick, which is he only wrestles on paper pay-per-views he doesn't waste his time wrestling on free tv because he's not a fucking mark and we'll get to more on that later also here's my question i have no idea who joseph saladino is i'm pulling up information about him right now apparently he is the supervisor of the town of oyster bay in nassau county new york and he previously was a member of the new york assembly to my knowledge he has not done anything bad that i have seen in the news so i have no idea why he's getting booed out of the building now i do read here that he is a republican so i'm willing to bet this is a libtard crowd that is booing him because he's a republican so I think that's the first thing we can look at here. Also, according to this, it says he was a strong advocate for the passing of Megan's Law, which requires law enforcement ways to make information available to the public regarding registered sex offenders. He introduced bills related to drug abuse prevention and was a big environmental advocate pushing to clean up Grumman headquarters, which has contaminated area drinking water. And it says here he was sworn in on January 31st, 2017, and he immediately changed leadership around the executive. Within the first month of being appointed, he merged the Sanitation, Recycling, Engineering, Highway, Vehicle Maintenance Departments to form the Department of Public Works, reorganized the Building Department to increase efficiency, and create a Board of Ethics. In the 2018 budget, he lowered spending, slashed the debt, and cut property taxes, something he has wanted done in the state government as well. So, again, why were people booing this guy out of the building? From what I'm reading here, sounded like he did a pretty fucking good job for New York. So, the only logical explanation I can come up with is that this show was a building full of libtards, and they just saw a Republican and went, Boo! You're on the right! Boo! You cleaned up the town, but you're a Republican! Boo! I mean, seriously, unless somebody can explain to me something this man has done that is deplorable, what corruption has he done? Has he supported any laws that are inhumane? What the fuck has this guy done to deserve a chorus of boos from the crowd in Long Island, New York? Because I know it's not because MJF is a heel, because even though he's a heel, Long Island, New York fucking worships this guy. So again, what the fuck did he do? 
This makes no goddamn sense. But anyway, obviously Jungle Boy attacking was good towards the end. Uh, I don't like the fact that Sammy's getting involved because people already know how I feel about Sammy. I in no way, shape, or form want him to be the AEW World Champion. Jungle Boy, I could see winning the title if they build him up properly. And obviously we got some time before Double or Nothing. I don't know if it's going to happen at Double or Nothing. But I will say this. Depending on how it goes with Jungle Boy, if he doesn't win at Double or Nothing, he could get a rematch down the road and win then. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We've got Sammy Guevara going one-on-one against Commander. Okay, I have no idea who the fuck Commander is, being honest. Never heard of this guy, never seen this guy, fucking anywhere. But from what I'm reading, he is a Mexican luchador who works with AAA, which I guess makes sense and explains why he's here. Because apparently Sammy G's done a lot of stuff in AAA, so I guess it wouldn't make sense. To my knowledge, I haven't seen any titles that he's won in AAA. Doesn't seem like he got anything there. I don't I don't see anything here about him winning any titles, except for War City Wrestling. He was a three-time Cruiserweight champion. Uh, he won the tag titles with Angelo, whoever the fuck that is, and was a two-time trios champion with Reyes, Stry, and Magnifico. And then in Chaos Lucha Libre, he was a junior Cruiserweight champion one time. So, really, hasn't really won anything, not really anybody special, and from this match, it basically was a glorified spot fest. Everything you could possibly want in a spot fest, meaningless moves, meaningless crap, basically just two guys going out there and getting their shit in, which I guess makes sense, because, you know, you might as well have a cool down moment after the MJF thing, because there was no way these fuckers were going to follow that. And the fact that MJF on the mic was more entertaining than this match should tell you the problems that AEW's having. Next, after this, Tony Schiavone joins Sammy in the ring for an interview where Sammy talks down MJF not wrestling before talking about MJF's pillar of AEW wasn't even built by the champ, having had to cheat his way to the top. Sammy talks about all these times MJF sold his soul, betraying those he claimed to be his friends. Sammy, on the other hand, built everything himself brick by brick and tells the booing fans that he's not going anywhere. With everything he's gotten from being in AEW, he's not going to let someone use the title as part of a bidding war. Screw the other pillars because Sammy Guevara is the AEW world champion. Okay, first off, yes, MJF has cheated to win a lot. He has stabbed a lot of people in the back. But let's be real here. His promo skills are what made him the pillar in AEW. Now, eventually, once he started getting in the ring and showing off how great of a wrestler he is, that solidified it. But the fact that MJF is the second biggest minute-to-minute draw in AEW, which obviously at the time he was number two. I'm assuming he's number one now. I don't know. But I know at the time he was number two because CM Punk was obviously number one. It made sense. MJF can talk on the mic and be more entertaining than any wrestler who laces up their boots and gets in the ring. So he talks about, hey, Hey, I'm on here wrestling on TV. Yes, because Sammy's a fucking mark. Because a lot of these guys are fucking marks. MJF's like, I don't have to go out there and beat myself up week after week for these people. And it makes sense. Why would you want to do that week after week for a bunch of fans who are going to turn on you the second you get ultra successful? Makes no fucking sense to me. And then he said, I built everything myself brick by brick. That's a goddamn lie. MJF talks about all these other people he used to get to the top. With Sammy Guevara's career, I can sum it up in two words. Chris Jericho. 
Without Chris Jericho, there is no Sammy Guevara. Sammy Guevara claims he was the job guy in the inner circle. Yes, you were. He rode the coattails of the inner circle. He left the inner circle briefly, and no one gave a shit about him. Then eventually he came back to the inner circle to feud with the pinnacle. And then, when everything was about to split off again, what did Sammy do? He went with the Jericho Appreciation Society. The epitome of sports entertainers. Once again, Sammy latching on to Jericho because he cannot stand on his own two feet. And also, once again, Sammy sounds stupid by talking about, I'm not going to use the title to start a bidding war because I love AEW. Once again, there was nowhere else for Sammy to go. He had no other options. WWE was not desperate to sign Sammy. If AEW did not exist as a company, if Chris Jericho did not latch on to Sammy Guevara and let him ride his coattails, Sammy would be in AAA. At best, he'd be in Impact Wrestling, maybe. But he would definitely be flipping and flopping around in Mexico. Because before AEW, the only televised appearance he ever made was on the last season of Lucha Underground. Which, unfortunately, I have not seen, so I don't know what Sammy was like in Lucha Underground. Then he talks about, I met my wife here. Yeah, you also proposed to your fiancé here months before you met your wife. So the fact that you met your wife here is not something to brag about. Because we remember when you proposed to one girl and then basically kicked her to the curb for Ty Cunty. Which is another reason why fans can't get behind Sammy Guevara. Because we know in real life, he's a piece of shit. And that's why protecting kayfabe was so important in wrestling. Obviously, it's not important anymore because no one gives a fuck about kayfabe. But this is why people live their characters 24-7. If you were a babyface, people had to think you were a nice guy. Even though in reality, some of the biggest baby faces in the business can turn out to be the biggest assholes. Case in point, Ricky Steamboat. But the baby faces live by a code. If a fan wanted an autograph, they never turned it down, especially if it was a kid. Now, if it's a grown adult, depends on the situation. But a kid wanted an autograph, he got it. No questions asked. Also, as a baby face, it was your job to fuck the rats. To get the girls to come back. And if a baby face was married, the fans were never allowed to know about it. Because the second they found out you were married, the girls stopped coming to the shows. Because again, they would come to fuck the baby face. And also as a heel, you had to be a dick in public 24-7. Kind of similar to what MJF does now. So, And even though some of the biggest heels you meet are some of the nicest guys in real life. Case in point, Jeff Jarrett. So overall, this promo was a waste of time. Because the bottom line is, it is impossible for Sammy Guevara to be a baby face. Because he's too much of a fucking prick of a human being. There is nothing likable about him. And it would be a mistake to make him your world heavyweight champion. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening for the FTW Championship Hook defends the title against Ethan Page, played by Julian. Now, I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's very weird to say the Julian part without Gator here, because part of the reason I do the play by Julian is because I know it gets under Gator's skin. And I gotta be honest, from time to time, it's fun to fuck with Gator, mostly because he keeps fucking with me on the show, so anytime I can find something to get under his skin, I love to do it, but I will say, this was a good match. 
You know, Ethan Page, you know, is somewhat of a decent worker. Uh, Hook is great. You know, obviously with him, less is more. And he's able to establish that. So it was a very much a violent match, a brutal match, uh, great back and forth, all until Matt Hardy knocks out Ethan Page, hits him in the head with the FTW title, and then Hook locks in the red rum. He's knocked out cold. The ref calls for the bell. The match is over. So Hook takes his title and bumps fists with Hardy and Isaiah before walking to the back. So obviously this means uh, Matt Hardy is pretty much done with Ethan Page. So I'm assuming this is going to build up to a match between them at Double or Nothing. And I know I've said that a million times before with a lot of these, but you got to understand. The pay-per-view is a month away. You need solid matches on the card. This is a way to get a solid match on the card. And I'm also hoping that because Matt Hardy was doing the whole delete, 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 delete. Delete. I'm really hoping this will lead to a return for broken Matt Hardy. Because I don't give a fuck what anybody says. I don't care what the fans say. I don't care what the critics say. And this is going to be controversial, but I don't give a fuck what Jim Cornette says. Broken Matt Hardy is a money draw. And it's the best Matt Hardy has done in his whole career. It gave Matt Hardy a personality. It gave Matt Hardy a gimmick change. And even though there was a lot of weird shit that he did, it worked because Matt Hardy made it work. That's what people forget. All the supernatural shit that Matt Hardy did, he committed to it. It worked. And most importantly, for a period period of time he stayed in character everywhere he went as broken matt hardy even when he would answer questions about his career he would stay in character he would have the voice he would talk the way broken matt hardy would talk in the old english and use the emphasis of the words and he would call people brother or brethren and address them by their middle names he made this gimmick believable. His appearance on Talk is Jericho as Broken Matt Hardy was one of the things that cemented Matt as one of the best in the business by having this gimmick that got over and it works. And I want Matt to have that gimmick back because I want him to get on the fast track to becoming the AEW World Heavyweight Champion because he deserves it. It's what I said years ago when Matt Hardy debuted, when I said on Boots Shoots On, that I hope they would do right by Matt Hardy for a period of time they did over the last year or so they haven't they have dropped the ball with Matt Hardy severely and I think it's fucking atrocious so I want him to become broken so hopefully they can get him to a main event level and make him the world heavyweight champion why because he fucking deserves it that's why then after that we cut to uh, the newest member of the AW broadcast team, Nigel McGinnis, who is standing by with Tony Khan, who has a big announcement, and he tells the story about um, All In, the big event, the indie show at the MGM Grand that started this whole thing. Uh, you know, Cody Rhodes playing a big part of that. Obviously, they brought up the EVPs. They did some minor shit, but let's be fucking real here. Without Cody Rhodes, All In would have never happened because they need somebody with a fucking brain to run that, and everybody knows the EVPs are too fucking stupid to come up with something big like this on their own fact but then they bring in adam cole to finish the announcement and they decide they're going to have a aew all in pay-per-view in honor of the fact that all in was the event that kick-started aew and they announced that the pay-per-view will take place on august 27th and it will take place in london england inside wembley stadium now here's what i got to say about this tony khan has mentioned on many occasions that he had a big announcement and almost every single time he has made that announcement it ended up being stupid 
pointless and anticlimactic. I can honestly say this is not one of those times. This is an actual announcement that's actually fucking big and actually fucking epic. But of course, here begs the question. Can they pack Wembley Stadium? Can they fill this place up? We know WWE can. They've done it twice. I'm intrigued to see if AEW can fill a stadium or not. Now, I think they got a good shot at doing that because wrestling is very popular in the UK. So if AEW was ever going to sell out a stadium or get damn close to it, I would like to think that Wembley Stadium would be it. I don't see them selling out a football stadium here in the States. That's just not going to happen. If it does happen, it's going to be decades from now. Because AEW is not even fucking close to being ready to selling out a goddamn stadium in America. They're not. But I think they got a shot in the UK. And I'm going to be intrigued to see where this pay-per-view goes. And I'm going to be even more intrigued to see what kind of matches they're going to book. But this definitely has my attention. And obviously, since we recap AEW here on the Boochcast, this is obviously a pay-per-view that I am going to be watching. And interestingly enough, it takes place on the same day that I'm celebrating my 17th anniversary in stand-up comedy. And on that note, we cut to the Blackpool Combat Club. We make their way to the ring with a bunch of random competitors. Um, Obviously, we have no idea who the fuck these people are. And the Blackpool Combat Club basically beat the fuck out of these guys before finally getting the win. And then while the beatdown is happening, Brian Danielson takes the mic after the match, talking about the state of AEW and calling everybody amateurs, including the men the Blackpool Combat Club just faced tonight. He also talks about how he loves his family, but he also loves the Blackpool Combat Club, and he loves professional wrestling, and basically says that the Blackpool Combat Club are the only real professionals left in this business. So obviously Adam Page comes out, he gets beat up by the Blackpool Combat Club, allowing Brian to call him an amateur before going after his eye with a screwdriver. Brian repeats his point, saying the only professionals around here are the Blackpool Combat Club as we go to commercial. Holy shit, this was good. I loved Brian Danielson's promo. I like the fact that he's getting a little more aggressive and a little more violent. This is a violent side that I've never seen of Brian Danielson. Obviously, we've seen him as a heel in WWE, but I've never seen him at this level, and I've never seen him this violent, and I think it's fucking beautiful. Obviously, the fact that Adam Page went out there by himself and tried to fight those guys was fucking stupid. And look, I get it. He's a baby face. He wants, he's not afraid to go one-on-four, but at the same time, you gotta use your fucking head. You know you're not gonna win a one-on-four beatdown. You're not Sting. You're not Stone Cold Steve Austin. You're not gonna knock everybody out. They're gonna maul you. They're gonna beat your ass. And that's exactly what happened. Because obviously Adam Page had to do it by himself because he doesn't have the elite with him. And the only thing that pisses me off is the fact that they're feuding with the elite, which means one of two things will have to happen if this thing makes it to blood and guts. Either I'm going to have to suspend the elite rule and watch the match or skip it altogether. But I will say this. If I do decide to break the elite rule for one night, it's going to be because of Brian Danielson and the Blackpool Combat Club. Fact. And if they lose blood and guts, I'll be pissed. And on that note, we move on to the main event of the evening for the AEW World Tag Team Titles. The Guns defend the titles against FTR. Now, another thing we have to remember here is that FTR's careers are on the line. If FTR loses this match, they have to leave AEW. And again, prior to WWE being sold to Endeavor and Vince McMahon pretty much back in charge 
of creative. He might not be doing the nuts and bolts, but he's still going to be a big part of creative and making final decisions. A part of me wanted to see FTR lose this match so they can get the fuck out of AEW and go to WWE where I feel like they're going to get the respect they deserve. Because AEW has treated these guys like shit. Now I know some people have a hard time seeing that because they were the Ring of Honor, IWGP, and AAA Tag Team Champions. But here's the issue. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Those belts held no value of any kind in AEW. None. Because Ring of Honor didn't have a TV show. The IWGP is in New Japan. So it only matters to people in New Japan. And AAA, no one gives a fuck about the AAA tag team titles. You got to be the biggest mark walking God's green earth if you think there's any value in walking around saying, I'm the AAA tag team champion or AAA champion of fucking anything. It's in Mexico. It don't mean shit in America. The only way those three belts would have any value value is if FTR was able to add the AEW World Tag Team titles to them. Why? Because out of these four companies, AEW is the only one on primetime TV. AEW is the company they're wrestling in. AEW is the banner that everybody is bringing these titles in. Because Tony Khan wants to be all inclusive with the other promotions. Even though by doing that, you're making every other match on your show a title match and the more belts you have on your show, the less value the belts have. If everybody's walking out to the ring with a belt, the belts aren't special. And because the Bucks are petty motherfuckers who didn't want to do proper business, and that, and by that I mean dropping those belts to FTR, FTR got screwed since then. Why? Because despite the fact they held those belts, how often were they on TV? Not very much. And also, who did the Bucks drop the titles to? Fucking Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Oh yeah, because they needed the belts. It was goddamn ridiculous. And the reason the Bucks did that was because they didn't want a job to FTR. And the reason I don't want a job to FTR is because the Bucks can't accept the fact that FTR is a better tag team than them. On their best day, the Young Bucks are not fit to carry FTR's bags into the locker room. And it pisses them off that people acknowledge FTR as the best tag team on the planet. Because the Young Bucks still live under the delusion that they're the best tag team on the planet when in reality, they are not in the fucking conversation. They are so far out of the conversation that if somebody were to bring them into the conversation they would be asked politely yet firmly to leave the conversation. So the fact that it took this long for FTR to get the tag team titles is for goddamn ridiculous. But I'm willing to bet the reason FTR agreed to stay with AEW is because they know what Vince in charge, they've got no shot at getting over over there. So they figured they might as well stay in AEW and Tony Khan was finally willing to give them the tag belts that they so richly deserve. But even though it got a good pop when they won, it would have been a better pop if they had won them while they were holding the other three championship belts. It would have meant more because that was the right time. So when FTR got the pop, it wasn't a pop of, yay, they're the tag team champions. Awesome. No, the pop was, well, it's about fucking time. So they're excited, but they're not as excited as they would have been if they had won the tag belts a fucking year ago or two years ago. Whenever it was that FTR had those three belts, I don't even remember because you rarely fucking see them on television. They see little to no TV time and it's disgusting because there's not a tag team in that locker room that is better than FTR. None of them. And the only reason other teams get a louder pop is because they're on TV every week. And FTR sat at home because they had to wait for that to fizzle out and then bring them back and make them start from scratch all over again. Because again, the Bucks are petty motherfuckers who are cancers to this business. 
Now, that being said, I know I got to talk about this match. I've ranted on this long enough. This was a solid, stellar main event. Great tag team match. The guns, once again, have impressed me. I am now a fan. And I like the fact they got the gear. They got the confidence. They are a great tag team with amazing chemistry. Their dad has trained them well. And it was a great match. The guns stepped it up. FTR brought the fight. They do what they do best. And it felt real. It felt like they were fighting for their lives. It was excitement and on the edge of your seat. And this proves why FTR is deserving of the tag belts and are the best tag team in the world. And of course, Mark Briscoe comes out to congratulate them because obviously there's a lot of respect between the Briscoes and FTR from the wars that they had. And obviously, if Jay was still alive, he would have came out there and congratulated them too. But of course, Mark is out there because he's no longer in the tag team division because I don't see Mark Briscoe ever going for a tag title ever again. And I don't think he should. I think out of respect for his brother, he should stay away from the tag team division and the tag team titles. I mean, obviously, if he's in, a, if he's in an important feud that requires him to team up with one guy to face two other guys for a one-off tag match, okay, I get that. But as far as competing for tag team titles, I think Mark Briscoe is done. He needs to go for the singles titles and he's been a singles champion before at least in ring of honor so i see no reason why he can't do it there or if he ever comes to aew maybe he could be a tnt champion or something i don't know i don't know if i give him the world title i think that's a bit of a stretch but i think as tnt champion he could pull it off all right and that ladies and gentlemen will wrap up this recap of aew thank you guys so much for tuning in uh make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. we're on anchor spotify google podcast and iHeartRadio. pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites also like us on facebook go to facebook.com slash the Boochcast. we have archived episodes of the show as well as great content make sure you check out our episode of the male soap opera moment find out the predictions we did for wrestlemania find out who was right and who was wrong featuring myself joey wensler and Desmond Dagenhart who may or may not become a regular on the male soap opera moment we'll see and of course we're going to have a recap of Wrestlemania for the male soap opera moment coming soon it'll be on the Boochcast Facebook page also make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast get latest tweets photos and videos visit our YouTube channel check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell be notified when future content will be posted as I mentioned before we're still dealing with some tech issues that are preventing me from releasing the Rise of Rush Limbaugh episode. But once I get them fixed, that episode will be out to you guys. And then I'll also start working on the other two episodes of Dark Side of the 90s that are left to post. But in the meantime, check out all the other Dark Side of the 90s episodes on the YouTube channel, as well as Dark Side of the Ring, the skits, the videos, the watch parties, everything. Check it all out. It's on the YouTube channel. Enjoy. And of course, you can follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, August the 5th for WWE SummerSlam. That's right. Make sure you join us live on Twitch for the biggest party of the summer. And of course, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle and a special project in the works. Also, you can support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is $0.99, cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't
aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We get better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99. $10 per month. Same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold the Peacock, you got nowhere to put that $9.99. So to that $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content than the network, and unlike the WWE, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option to pay with the credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment, we used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believes they're to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then... Pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall That it's time to bid you one and all Goodbye! Goodbye! So long! So long! Farewell! Farewell! Adieu! Adieu! Be good! Stay well! Bye-bye! Keep warm! Relax! And eat! Take care! Stay loose! Adieu, mon vieux! À la prochaine! Goodbye till when we meet again!